1: Five years ago, the federal government tried to fix what had been seen as a broken financial system, one that uh, indirectly, directly led to the crisis we went through in 2008 and 2009, as well as the recession, which we're still feeling the effects of and probably will for some time. Enter the Dodd-Frank legislation and the hope that this plan would fix some of these problems. It has drawn both praise and criticism from members of Congress over the years, but uh, has it done the job? job it set out to do. Joining us first here in the studio is David Zaring, who's an associate professor of legal studies and business ethics here at the Wharton School. Also with us is Todd Zwicky, executive director of the George Mason Law and Economics Center and the GMU Foundation Professor of Law. Welcome uh, to the show, Todd and David. Thank you very much for coming on. Great to have you.
0: It's great to be here.
1: Thank you. Todd, Great to have you.
2: Absolutely. Great to be here this morning.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, David, has Dodd-Frank done what it set out to do? Uh,
0: I think it's a work in progress, but uh, I am tentatively... And you you hope that after five years, you can get beyond the tentative stage. I'm tentatively happy with the way the statute's been implemented um, and rolled out. I think it's made the financial system safer. It's uh, limited the um, uh, sort of size and scope of the um, uh, largest banks um, and created a new system of oversight that I think is really affecting the way they do business today.
1: Uh, Todd, uh, your opinion.
2: Well, if the purpose of Dodd-Frank was to permanently entrench uh, too big to fail, uh, to raise the cost of uh, um, uh, credit for consumers, to reduce access to credit for consumers, and to basically spur a uh, greater reliance on products like pawn shops and uh, payday lending, then certainly Dodd-Frank achieved its purpose. Uh, But to the extent that what Dodd-Frank intended to do was to eliminate too big to fail, to uh, to make the system work better for consumers, uh, to increase choice and competition, then I think Dodd Frank, by any measure, is a miserable failure because it's uh, everything that it has resulted from it has been the exact opposite of what it was supposed to do.
1: What What do you think should have been done, or should have been added to it, uh, to make it a better failure, uh, Make it a better uh, a better bill, in your opinion.
2: Well, there are all kinds of things that should have been done. I mean, one of the most obvious things is uh, one of the classic examples of why Dodd Frank is such a mess is that uh, one of the things that Dodd Frank uh, included was a commission to study the cause of the financial crisis, uh, which released its report six months after Dodd-Frank was enacted. Uh, so they rushed into Dodd-Frank basically they, uh, uh, without having any idea what they were doing. They never properly diagnosed the underlying uh, causes of the, uh, of the crisis. Now, it's clear we needed things fixed. In my opinion, it was clear we needed, for instance, a more coherent federal regulatory regime with respect to consumer protection. It's clear we needed to do something about too big to fail, but instead of actually thinking about things that would work, uh... congress created a political document they created a document driven by uh... internal politics power battles between uh, politicians. Uh and so we should have actually, for example, explored the idea of a bankruptcy option instead of this crazy uh orderly liquidation authority. We should have created a modern consumer protection regime rather than a regime that basically takes us back to the 1970s and heavy-handed command and control regulation that ignores the fact uh that we've had uh, uh great uh, <clears throat> uh changes in uh, the internet and all these sorts of information technologies. And instead, what we did was basically go back and create a 1930s regulatory regime for 21st century banking system.
0: David? Uh, well, I think you can tell what the Congress thought was the problem with the financial crisis in some ways by looking at what Dodd-Frank tried to stop. And and, and one of the things that I uh, obviously Congress was worried about was too big to fail. So they created this Financial um, Stability Oversight Council, which has the ability to designate firms as too big to fail and make them hold extra capital to make it painful to be that big. They also, I think, worried that regulators weren't talking to each other and that the uh, regulatory fi- financial process was balkanized. And the Financial Stability Oversight Council forces those regulators to talk to each other. And so that, I think, addresses another potential problem in the crisis. Congress was also obviously worried about derivatives and the possibility that um, financial firms were taking big positions on these unregulated um, uh markets and so Dodd Frank regulated those markets. And finally Congress was also worried about consumer protection. Um, and uh Todd's the real expert on um, the uh uh Title ten of Dodd Frank but um, uh Congress uh, created this whole new agency and made it very independent to uh address those consumer protection problems. So I'm not sure I agree that um, there's no plan there. Um, and uh as I said I think uh, in the, in the real world in which we live, all of these uh, contributions have you know, had an effect, um, and so far, I think um, all, all the signs are pretty good.
1: Well, Todd, uh, you you have uh, talked to quite at length about the Consumer Protection Finance Bureau. Uh, that in itself, that organization, uh, how how well or how uh, how many missteps have they made along the way in the in the last several years?
2: Uh- that what they did when they created that was they created the most powerful and least democratically accountable agency in the history of America. Uh, a um, single director they, uh, their their budget is uh, given to them by the federal reserve it 's not uh, um, required to be appropriated by Congress six hundred million dollars a year. Uh, and basically what they did was um, created this super regulator with the power to regulate every single consumer credit or product uh, in America. What we've seen since Dodd-Frank is that, for instance, free checking, this is primarily as a result of the Durban Amendment, which placed price controls on debit card interchange fees, but free checking has gone from 76% of bank accounts to 38% of bank accounts. Credit card ownership has gone down by five percentage points. Gone down eleven percentage points among lowest income consumers. The more people still can't get mortgages, and 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 many of the leading mortgage companies, banks have said that they're exiting the low income mortgage uh, uh, space because mortgage because the regulatory risk is uh, too high. And finally, what we've seen is a community banks are shrinking at twice the rate that they were shrinking before Dodd-Frank, primarily because of the regulatory cost and regulatory overhang of Dodd-Frank. And many community banks are simply leaving the residential mortgage market, for instance. So what we've seen is a a massive, unaccountable uh, regulatory bureaucracy, which is crushing consumer choice, which is eliminating access to mainstream uh, credit products. Meanwhile, payday lenders and pawn shops are booming because consumers can't get credit cards and bank accounts anymore. And I think that's the real tragedy of this, is that upper middle class people have largely not borne the brunt of Dodd-Frank. It's lower income people with the most limited choices who are basically running into this problem of of, uh, of paternalistic, overreaching government that treats them like children and in the end is basically taking away the choices they use to make their lives better.
1: So then I mentioned it at the top then. Uh, Do we need to already start to think about the next type of legislation like dodd frank that that we're going to need because as as we have obviously seen in a variety of different ways things develop quicker now with the age of the internet i i almost get the feeling that we probably should start to think about uh something to be that next level to handle a lot of the problems that that you're bringing up right here
2: in in my in my view, we need to scrap it and, and start over largely. Uh, which yep. is obviously the the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau needs to be made like a regular agency, a bipartisan agency with accountability to the uh, to the democratic process. The the, the so-called orderly liquidation authority is. is basically dead on arrival because nobody actually ever thinks, and this is the problem with it, is in theory it might work. Nobody has any idea whether it'll work or not. It was just kind of made up on the spot. But nobody seriously thinks that when the time comes that the federal government is actually going to trust that system rather than bailing out the big banks. So we do better to have a system that is at least politically plausible that somebody might invoke it the financial stability oversight commission is this you know completely black box unaccountable process that seems to have no rules or standards uh uh in determining what's systemically risky what isn't uh they're really just uh just making it up as they as they go along uh, and finally we at the time of the financial crisis we had more information at our fingertips than any time in the history of the world yet we had one of the greatest financial crises of all time. It's not a matter of information, it's not a matter of information sharing, there is no way that a centrally planned regulatory regime can deal with the complexity of this world. And it's just naive to think that we can. And I think we need to start over. We need to think about what the f- global financial system looks like in the 21st century, rather than trying to take old-fashioned systems and trying to jam the, uh, uh, the, the current world into our old, you know, horse-and-buggy way of regulating the, uh, the world.
0: Well, I don't... I don't exactly know what a centrally planned financial regulator would look like, but I don't think that's what we have. And uh, I also don't think you can beat something with nothing. Uh, our, our regulatory system is jerry-rigged, no question, um, but that doesn't mean that it's better, it's worse than any of the alternatives. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, in many ways, the response... To the financial crisis uh, in this country is the envy of those of other financial systems and the uh, of the regulators and those with other financial systems elsewhere in the world. Um, the things I think that I'd like to see more of in the future, um, and maybe the Dodd Frank Part Two, is uh, I think we need to think about shadow banking, um, uh, and uh, there's a there's an aspect of the financial system which is strange and has probably always existed but is absolutely exploding these days which is you now have a pretty closely regulated banking system and then all these other ways that companies and consumers get their financing Todd talked about payday lending and loans um, and uh, for companies it's often uh, commercial paper um, uh, asset managers hedge funds there's all these new sorts of financing out there and it's not really clear how they fit into the financial system, if they can create a lack of stability or something like that. So uh, I'd like to see some more attention paid to shadow banking, to insurance, uh, federal regulation in the future. And uh, I agree with Todd on one thing, um, if not everything, which is that orderly liquidation authority is um, this way to wrap up banks, and we just don't know if it'll work, and there's a lot of uh, progress that needs to be made there um, that hasn't been made. Todd? Um.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that uh, what David points out the, the, the problem here, which is that when you have a dysfunctional regulatory regime that raises costs uh, with very little benefit, what you get is a pressure to push transactions outside of the system. And so we could chase our tail forever trying yep. to regulate every single thing. For example, in, in the news at the top of the hour, you mentioned the Military Lending Act, which yep. is a, a good example of this, which is we've known in consumer credit, for instance, that for centuries we tried to regulate interest rates, and all we did was create a market for the mafia, uh, <laughs> You know, which in 1968, for instance, the second largest revenue source of the mafia was loan sharking. Uh, the problem is, is we can chase our tail, we can try to regulate everything under the sun, but we're always going to have these frontiers. We're always going to have, uh, uh, especially when you have a regulatory regime that imposes huge costs with very few benefits, people are going to try to work around it. And I think we're, we're better off coming up with a system that works within the framework of reality rather than a system that tries to pretend like we can regulate the, the, the entire world, which is what we've tried to do here. And a good example, uh, you know, David asked for an example of what is centrally, you know, what I think of central planning regulation. Financial Stability Oversight Commission is a great example, right? You've got these Half a dozen people who are going to somehow decide whether banks, you know, institutions are systemically risky and what we need to do about them. Mm -hmm. I just think that's a, you know, that's uh, a ridiculous proposition to think that half a dozen people, no matter how expert they might be, might be able to think about this is the best way to try to regulate large institutions.
1: You're listening to Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Dan Loney here in our studios in Philadelphia. Joining me here in the studio, David Zering. Uh, from the Wharton School, Associate Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics. On the phone with us, Todd Zawicki, who's Executive Director of the George Mason University Law and Economics Center, also the GMU Foundation uh, as a Professor of Law. Uh, Your comments and questions about uh, Dodd-Frank and the five-year anniversary, which is today, are more than welcome. The number to give us a call and join in is 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Again, 844-942-7866. Well, Todd, I'll I'll stick right on the Military Lending Act for a second, because if you're talking about, you know, something that is designed to try and prevent uh, our military service people who don't get paid a ton to begin with from being uh, having their their hard earnings taken away from them in a variety of different manners, if you can't even do that. You know, then, 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 how do you expect to handle, you know, major conglomerates, corporations, banks that that are uh, obviously dealing with much higher levels of revenue than the mom and pop uh, payday lending store?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the Military Lending Act, you know, is, is a good example. What it tries to do is essentially create a 36 uh, percent interest rate cap for loans to military service members. And what have we already seen? We've already seen since the first iteration of that is that you can't wish away the need for credit that consumers have, even if they're in the military. So basically, the first Military Lending Act just caused an explosion of unregulated products like uh, overdraft protection. Bank overdraft protection, which is unregulated, has now become a huge uh, thing for military uh, families because they've lost access to the products that they actually want. And if you take that as as a micro study of the realities of uh, of of economic regulation, it shows exactly the point that you're saying, which is we could pass all the laws we want, but we can't repeal the law of unintended consequences and we can't repeal the law of supply and demand. Uh, And as you said, uh, if we continue to try to think we can if, if we can't do that with respect to ordinary people, entering the small dollar loans, the idea that we can do this with respect to Goldman Sachs and Citibank is absurd, number one. And number two, the idea that 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 we can have some sort of, you know, pure regulatory process that isn't going to be corrupted by politics is just naive. As I said, the big losers of Dodd Frank are not Citibank and JP Morgan. Jamie Dimon, the head of J.P. Morgan, says he actually said on a call with investors, one of the benefits of Dodd-Frank is that it's increased the moat that protects us from competition from other smaller banks. It's community banks that are bearing the brunt of Dodd-Frank. Exactly the banks that had nothing to do with the financial crisis, yet they're the ones who are paying these huge regulatory burden to implement all this stuff from Dodd-Frank.
0: Well, community banks uh, can't become SIFIs. Um, there is some question as to you know what it is we're getting out of uh, our community banking system. Uh, you know, one thing if they were a place where people went for mortgages, I guess one of the questions posed by the financial crisis, which was a housing crisis, is you know, do we want everybody in America to have a mortgage or do we want a system where some people own their houses and other people rent their houses? And um, and maybe that's a system that makes more sense than a, a world in which everybody uh, basically has most of their wealth invested in one single asset, which, as we know, is an asset that can decline in value. So yeah. I, I don't have a problem with, you know, efforts to sort of limit the sort of... Uh, emphasis on home ownership, which may have gotten us into some trouble in the in the first place, that precipitated the crisis.
1: But it, it, it does even feel now that that today, David, that we're sitting in a system, just the the housing system, where I mean, if you look at at the numbers that come out from uh, from the you know the realtors association and the companies that are doing the building, more of the properties that are being built these days now are apartment complexes or condominium complexes than they are the 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 single family home, and that to me is a little concerning. Just as a, as a citizen, when I sit back and think. that we've got more people right now that that have to think about renting rather than owning i mean that's a concern to me for the economy in general do
0: you see it that way i don't um in other countries there's a lot more rental ownership than there is home ownership Mm -hmm. um uh, if you uh own your home then that's where you've placed most of your resources and if you rent your home then uh, you could have your resources and other things uh, in index funds or passively managed investments, which which might be a better investment in the first place. Um, uh, I think some of the developments of apartments and condo- uh, condominiums and that kind of thing is partly, um, you know, the reurbanization of America as people move back yeah. into cities, um, and uh, you know that may have some advantages. It might be greener. Um, uh, it might be more fun um, yeah. for uh, people, and so. Um, I'm not sure that uh, when we look at uh, you know what's the right way to think about um, how uh, most people manage their finances. I'm not sure that home ownership is is necessarily the answer that we want to come to. All
1: right, Todd, I'll let you jump in on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, on, on this point, I don't necessarily disagree with David, uh, which is you know what we did was we went through a period where uh, where bad government policy um, incentivized. Home uh, People buying houses i won 't even say home ownership because somebody who put nothing down into a home and had an interest only mortgage was essentially not a homeowner in normal terms. It was just somebody living in their investment mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, uh, but in that sense i, I don 't disagree with David. What bothers me more about it is that uh, um, that it 's restricting choice and it 's not making the system safer so for example the the qualified mortgages rule, which was supposed to uh, to to address this problem before the rule was actually passed, it eliminated the single most important component of what drove the foreclosure crisis, which is a qualified mortgage does not have any minimum down payment requirement. And we know that it was the deterioration of down payment requirements of people not having equity in their homes that is what really spurred the foreclosure crisis. One estimate by, uh, by Peter Wallison is that 23% of the mortgages that were made during the run up to the, uh, 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 that, that, uh, that loans that conformed with the qualified mortgages Rule would have a twenty would have still had a twenty three percent foreclosure rate mm-hmm. uh, because we haven't really addressed the underlying problem. But the second part of it is, is that by putting this sort of blanket of bureaucratic uniformity over the system, we've, we've re- restricted consumer choice. We, uh, and, and so, for example, the, the benefit that community banks have is relationship lending, of knowing their customers, having customers they know, the local community, and that sort of thing. And basically what Dodd-Frank has done is eliminated that competitive advantage for community banks. They've gotten rid of relationship lending, the kind of lending that we say we supposedly want by basically throwing this blanket of uniformity over them, and that's one of the reasons why community banks are, are exiting this market. So it's not that I necessarily disagree with the idea that we were promoting homeownership improperly, but what we're doing instead is is making the mortgage market work uh, more poorly for consumers, raising costs, reducing access, and reducing choice uh, for consumers.
1: I'll throw this next question to both of you. I, I sit here, and, and as, you know, I, look, I'm not I'm involved. Millionaire by any way, shape, or form, but but I sit here after what all has happened over the last several years, and, and I still don't feel good about what our banking system uh, and what the people who are, who are running it uh, are really trying to do. I, I I don't get the sense that you know, and maybe this is somewhat naive, but you you get the sense that they are not out there trying to all the time look out for the best interest of the consumer am, am i wrong on this todd
2: uh yeah well i mean i had a, i had a uh, an interesting conversation with a uh, community banker about this and he said look the reality is now is my 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 clients my customers are no longer the people who live in my community my primary client is the federal government uh, which is yep. I run my bank to satisfy Washington, not to satisfy my shareholders, not to satisfy my customers, and if I do something that uh, is good for my customers and is going to look bad for the regulators then uh, then i'm going to be in trouble, uh, and that sort of system uh, just does not conduce to a system that's going to be good for consumers, <clears throat> that's going to be good for <laughs> the economy, that's going to create stable and safe lending, it's going to create a system like we had, which is based, uh, which even on steroids now, which is a, a system run to please government regulators uh, and, and I agree with you uh, I, I have less confidence in the banking system now I have less confidence I, I you know is the, the I just nobody believes literally nobody believes that Dodd. we can get bipartisan disagreement or bipartisan agreement mm-hmm. that Dodd-frank doesn't eliminate uh, too big to fail uh, we know it doesn't eliminate too big to fail well uh, and we can just go right down the uh, right down the uh, um, down the ladder
0: I'm, I'm not sure I Entirely agree that it hasn't made too big to fail something that's uh, a lot more painful for uh, big banks to do. Nobody wants to be designated a SIFI, and uh, that's a systemically important financial institution. Big banks are being designated SIFIs, and they all they all want to get out from that. So that may give them an incentive to shrink. But I I think it's one thing that's interesting about, um, you know, feeling good about our banking system is currently the thing you're hearing from Washington and and, uh, bank supervisors in other countries is a need for bankers' ethics. Uh, And banking ethics has been something that uh, the Federal Reserve is talking about, that um, the um, uh, European Central Bank is talking about. They think that They've implemented all these rules on capital requirements and stable funding ratios and uh, 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 rules that are designed to keep banks from uh, uh, going under if there's a crisis or a shock. Um, And those rules have hard requirements. They are focused on numbers. Um, And increasingly, it looks like uh, regulators think that that's not going to be enough. Mm -hmm. Um, to get banks uh, safe and stable. That they're going to need some sort of commitment from bankers that they want to comply and that they're going to be a client service sort of driven uh, set of institutions Um, And the way they've started talking about that is uh, by trying to come up with these codes of ethics that they want banks to adopt um, uh, and to take seriously. Um, And uh, currently regulators are delivering a bunch of lectures to banks about those kinds of issues. I'm not exactly sure what precisely the regulators are after, but it's clear that they think that... um, uh, rule-based regulation alone won't do it, that the, the banks themselves have to, have to take up the mantle of um, uh, complying with, uh, you know, public service obligations and with client service obligations uh, sort of in an internalized, institutionalized way.
1: Gentlemen, I have to end it there. Uh, Todd, thank you very much for joining us on the phone. David, thank you very much for coming in. Great discussion. Appreciate both sides. Thank you again.